Good morning. It is so good to be with you. It's so good to have you all here this morning. As many of you know, we have over 30 of our men out at the men's retreat this weekend, so they're not with us. And when Nicole got here this morning, she began hearing from those that were supposed to be here to help on our worship team today that they came down sick. And so I was wondering who was going to show up today, you know, but we're glad that you're here. And you know what? Here's the thing. The main thing is God's here this morning. That's the main thing. And we're so glad that you're here as well. I also want to give a shout out again to all those, as Dave did, who are joining us live stream, not only all over the country, but all over the world. And I want to especially just mention the church in Bethlehem this morning that's joining us. And I don't mean Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I mean the birthplace of our Lord. We thank them for joining us this morning as well. We're so glad that you guys are here. Would you please turn with me if you want to follow along this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. We are continuing a series on spiritual growth from the book of 2 Peter. No book in the Bible speaks more about our spiritual growth as Christians than the book of 2 Peter. Peter is reminding us that our salvation in Jesus Christ is not the end, it is simply the beginning. From the moment that you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, God begins to shape us and fit us for eternity. We're going to talk more about that, okay? Remember that. From the moment you and I accept Christ as our Savior, God begins to shape us and fit us for eternity. Now, throughout our study, because next week we conclude this study, for, throughout our study we've been looking at many things about spiritual growth, and one of those is the motivations for growing. And I want to just briefly go over some of those this morning, because they're good to just be reminded of. Why, why should we grow? <laughs> why should I have a passionate pursuit of spiritual growth in my life. Well, one, and this needs to only be the only reason, it's God's will. It is God's will that every child of his grow, grows up in the Lord, matures, okay, makes progress, increases in our spiritual life. That's first. Second, our spiritual growth helps us to become more of a strength and an encouragement to our fellow believers. Growing Christians are able to encourage and strengthen other believers more than non-growing Christians. Growing Christians also are a more effective witness to those that don't know God than those that aren't growing. We've also seen that you and I never can plateau spiritually in our life. We're either growing and moving forward spiritually, or we're regressing and we're moving backward. We never get to a place spiritually where we're just stagnant. So that's why, in some instances, there are Christians who've been saved longer, but who have started to move backward spiritually in their life, who get passed up spiritually by Christians who have not been saved as long, who actually have a maturity to their life that the person who's been saved longer does not have. So there's that dynamic that takes place. Peter himself is a great example of spiritual growth. The, the Peter depicted in the book of Acts that becomes a leader in the early church is certainly different from the Peter that first met Jesus in the Gospels. He grew to become. In fact, Jesus even said when he met him, you're Simon, 
but I'm going to call you Peter because I see the potential in you, just like he, God sees the potential in all of us. And he says, this is who you're going to become if you just continue to follow me. Last week, we saw on Easter Sunday and on our 11th anniversary that one of the results of spiritual growth is that spiritual growth brings certainty into our life. And that when you and I are certain about things, then that breeds a confidence, that that breeds a calmness and a composure no matter what we're going through. It, it, it gives us a courage. There's just so much that can come out of being certain about things. And we saw last week there, there were four things that God wanted us to be certain about. He says, I, I want you to make sure of your calling and election, the part that you play in the body of Christ. I, I want you to be certain about the reliability and dependability about the word of God. It is a more sure word of prophecy that God has given us. I want you to be sure about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the master, the ruler of all who bought us and set us free by the blood of his own body. And then he says, I want you to be sure that you know that the day of the Lord is coming. Okay? So if you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to see this morning that our spiritual growth also results in two other things. It results in us having an eternal perspective that can only come about when we're growing as a Christian, and eternal priorities. We'll be building into our life eternal priorities out of our spiritual growth. You see, a Christian who's not growing will not be living by eternal priorities and will not have an eternal perspective on things. They will have a very short-sighted short-term perspective on things. In fact, Peter even says that in chapter 1 of 2 Peter. He says one of the results of not growing is this short-sightedness to life. So I want you to follow along with me as I begin reading in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 8, down through verse 13. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years are like a single day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, his promise to come back, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. The second time Peter said this in a very short amount of time, I think he wants us to get this, right? The visible universe that we know that we can be so wrapped up in and cling to, it's going to be gone one day. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. Now, see, in this passage, as Peter's been building throughout this book, he's saying, here's another great reason, guys and gals, to set your life on a course of passionate spiritual growth. It gives us two very important things that, that literally set us up for eternity that's coming. He says, first of all, it gives us an eternal perspective. 
You see, back in verse 8, what Peter is reminding us all about is that we not only sometimes forget what God does, like the scoffers did. See, the scoffers came along in chapter 3, he's telling us, and they all, where's the promise of his coming? Nothing ever changes. Everything's been the same since creation. And he says, uh, did you forget what God did in the flood? He completely destroyed the earth with water. And by the way, because God has a long-term view of things rather than a short-term view of things, do you realize that Peter is teaching us, we're not going to get into this this morning, but that Peter taught us in chapter 3 that God, by his foresight, literally built into the first earth and heavens that he made the means of its own destruction? You see, the first earth, the one that was pre-flood, not only had water underneath of it, okay, and water on it, it had a canopy of water over it. So that all God had to do was literally like burst the canopy, burst the bubble, and the water was coming up from the bottom of the earth and coming down from the top of the earth, which is why the whole earth could be deluged, if you will, in such a short amount of time. Well, guess what? God has the foresight, right, to also build into his universe the second means of destruction. Because if you all know the story of Noah, you know that God said, he promised Noah with the sign of the rainbow, I will never destroy the earth again by a flood. But he didn't say, I won't destroy it one day by fire. And what is inside the earth? Fire. I mean, look at volcanoes and look at what happens in Hawaii and look at the, the lava and all that kind of stuff. What's inside our earth? Fire. What are, what are the stars made of in the universe? Gas. Gas that can explode. See, when he's talking about the celestial bodies exploding and melting away and dissolving in the visible universe being destroyed by fire, we can see that God, again, had the foresight to go, yeah, one day I'm going to do that. But Peter says, oh, no, not yet. God is reserving this earth for a few more years, you see, He's got plans for this planet, but there is coming a day where this is all going to be gone, everything that we see. So he says in verse 8, he says, not only do people, including the scoffers, but many times even us as Christians forget what God has done, we forget who God is like. And what he's saying to us in verse 8 of 2 Peter 3 is, God is eternal. He doesn't view time the way we view time. You and I, even as Christians, so often when we look at how God works or the things that God does or doesn't do or what he allows on earth, part of why we get so disillusioned with God or maybe confused about the ways of God and all that is because we're looking so short-term. Listen, folks, everything God does or doesn't do, it's because he always has the long-term view in mind. He always has what is best for eternity and what matters for eternity, not just the here and now. Think about that then in your own life. Because so often as Christians, something comes into our life that God allows or whatever, 
And the first thing that many Christians do is, why, you know, why me, God? And why am I going through this? And first of all, it might not have anything to do with you. God may be using the trial that you're going through for you to be an example so that someone else might have a heart touched by what you're going through and be able to come to Christ for, guess what? All of eternity. But sometimes God allows things into our life because, again, he's got eternity in view. Listen, if God had to take a whole hundred years, if we lived that long, if we lived a whole hundred years on earth in our lifespan, and God had to take the whole hundred years to finally get our heart aligned with him for all of eternity, from God's perspective, it's worth it. It's worth it, and it should be then to us too. Thank you for that amen back there, by the way. <laughs> but see, that's where spiritual growth is so important because so often we get caught up in the world that we live in and, and everything is instant gratification. And it's got to happen now. And, and, and we, we have our minds so filled with the world philosophy that, that it's got to happen now, it's got to happen quickly and all this, when God is always working from what? Eternity. Eternity. He doesn't, he's not as concerned about the, the one day or the one week or the one month or year or even 10 years. He's concerned about eternity here. And when God acts, there's a finality to it, right? I mean, that's the whole reason why God warned the people in Noah's day through Noah for hundreds of years, guys, I'm coming to judge, and I don't want you to go out into eternity without me, so I'm giving you time, just as Peter said. He's being patient because there's a purpose in his patience. It's because he doesn't want anyone to perish and to lose out on eternity. And we could apply that even to us as Christians because the word perish isn't the loss of being, it's the loss of well-being. It's, it's, it's living for things that don't really matter, aren't of highest value, aren't of greatest worth. And even we as Christians can, in a sense, perish because our life, is filled up with the things that don't really matter and aren't of greatest value, and we can lose out on what's most worthwhile. He says, look, guys, a day with God because he's eternal is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. By the way, I, I want to point this out because I, I hope that this will, like it has with me over the years, just give you a greater esteem a higher opinion of God, okay? Let's not forget this. God experiences in one 24-hour period what you and I would take thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lifetimes to experience. Now think about that. Because God experiences every last word that is spoken on earth in a 24-hour period. He experiences every last deed done on earth in a 24-hour period. He sees every wrongdoing. He sees every murder that's committed. He sees every 
harsh word and ugly thing that's said by one human being to another, he absorbs it all. He experiences it all. And he sees the totality of human behavior, good and bad, in a 24-hour period. You and I would be fed up with humanity in less than 24 hours if we saw everything that was done like God does. But again, God is patient. He's being so full of restraint. Not because he doesn't want to come back and say, I'm going to set things right. And for those that don't believe in me and blaspheme me every day, I'm going to show you I do exist and all that. He could do it at any time, but his heart of love says, I don't want to do it yet. Because I know that when I do it, there's a finality to it. And I'm giving people on this earth a little bit more time to get their life aligned with me to either come to Christ as, as their personal Savior or for Christians to wake up and get our spiritual house in order before we go to be with him for all of eternity. That's why God is being patient. It's not because he's lax, as Peter says in, in his promise. His promise doesn't diminish over time. It's not like any less powerful because God said it a thousand or even a million years ago. If God said it, then his word is just as true today as it was when he said it. But he's working from an eternal perspective. And the only way that even we as Christians begin to understand things from an eternal perspective is by setting our life on a path of spiritual growth. Because when we do that, as a growing Christian, then the next time something happens to somebody that we know or even comes into our own life, like a trial or a struggle or pain of any kind, we go, hmm, God has eternity in mind here. And I'm not just looking at the short little time that you and I or someone else may be going through something. We're, we're reminding ourselves, you know what? God's working on eternity here. He may be working on our eternity. He may be working on somebody else's eternity. But what he really cares about isn't just the here and now. It's the forever. And that should be what we most care about as his people. It's not this little time that we spend on earth, even if we live to be 100 years old. Is the way we're living really going to make a difference a million years from now? <laughs> 10 million years from now? How about 100 million years from now? Oh, and guess what? Then eternity's just beginning. I know, our minds just begin to go, Poo. I can't compute, right? But we need to keep that eternal perspective. We need to have that eternal perspective. Just this past year, even by seeing the way Christians reacted in different ways, one of the reasons why Christians reacted different ways is some approached this past year from an eternal perspective, long-term view, 
Others approached it from very short-term view. And that will make a difference in how you and I react and respond to things in our life. Are we looking at it from God's perspective? So that's the first thing. The second thing Peter says to us here is that our spiritual growth also will result in eternal priorities. Notice what he says in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come. By the way, the day of the Lord is not a literal 24-hour period. It is a broad time period that begins, I believe, with the rapture of the church, carries through the seven-year tribulation, then all the way through the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on earth, which you and I, if we are true Christians, will be a part of as we rule and reign with Christ on earth, and then we'll also conclude then with what Peter mentions here, which is the destruction then of this present heaven and earth, and then the beginning dawning of eternity with God creating the new heaven and the new earth. In a sense, Peter's jumping all the way to the conclusion of the day of the Lord when he talks about, oh yeah, and one day God's going to destroy this heaven and this earth. Even if Jesus Christ came today in the rapture, this earth is still being reserved by God for another thousand and seven years, you see, because he's got a plan for this planet. But once then the millennial reign of Christ is done, Peter says, poof, it's all gone. And God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And I love what Peter says at the end in verse 13. He says, that should be what we're waiting for, what we are anticipating with great expectation. Why? Because when God creates that, that's going to be perfection forever. Righteousness. It, it, it's going to be everything that God's approved of in a fixed, permanent state. How good is that to look forward to, right? But before that comes, before that comes, notice what he says in verse 11. Since all these things are to melt away, literally to cease to exist or come to an end. In other words, he's already said, everything that we can see in the visible universe, one day God's going to destroy, just as he destroyed the earth the first time by water, this time by fire. Since everything that I see with my eye is one day going to be destroyed, he says, what sort of people must we be? Let's stop there. That phrase in the original speaks about a quality of exceptionality. God is saying, because my people should know that what I promise is good, it's going to happen just as I say it's going to happen. And so if my people have truly embraced the truth that one day everything that they see is going to be gone, Shouldn't that then lead them to start living a life of eternal priorities and living more for eternity than we do for this world, since this world one day is not going to exist anymore? And that I should be living a life of exceptional quality, distinguishing myself in how I approach life and what values and priorities I live by rather than the world's priorities and value system because all they care about is the here and now. 
And we've seen that, and we've even seen how that attitude has crept into the church, if you will, or to the people of God, which, again, you've seen this past year. Hey, I've said to people when I'm talking about it, I said, I can understand why people who don't know God are freaking out. Because if they think that this life is all there is, and that what they can hold in their hands and see with their own eyeballs right now is all that they will ever have or experience, I can understand them wanting to hold on to it as long as possible, because that's all they'll ever know. But you and I, folks, again, because of our eternal perspective, realize this earth isn't all that I've got to look forward to. In fact, this earth isn't even my home, the Bible says. My home is in heaven with Jesus. And that's what I should be looking forward to. And so I get taken from me this life and, and everything that I have in this life. Guess what? I got the best yet to come. That's what sort of people God wants to have. But see, that again, that perspective and those kind of priorities only comes about by spiritual growth. When we're not growing, we start like the world, living for worldly things and temporal things and earthly things and putting our time and our money and our energy and effort into the things that one day aren't going to be here. And let me add this. Because I've been a pastor for so long, this is my 38th year of ministry. I've done a lot of memorial services and funeral services in 38 years. Not that the Bible needs affirmation, because when God says it, it's true, but in every one of those memorial services and funeral services, God's word was true. We brought nothing into this world. We came into this world naked, and naked we're going out. We're not taking anything with us. Nothing. So if that's true, then shouldn't that change the way I live my life? Shouldn't I start living more for eternal things than I am temporal things? I'm not saying we shouldn't put any time or money or energy or effort into earthly things. Obviously, to live life on earth, you have to. But all I'm saying as Christians, so often... We spend much more time and money and energy and effort into the things that one day will be burned up that we can't take with us than we spend our time, money, money, energy, and effort on spiritual things, eternal things. Isn't that why Jesus came along and said to his followers in Matthew 6, 19 is where these words are recorded, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth is going to eventually decay and destroy those things and where thieves can break through and steal them? Rather, accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where there are no moths and where there are no thieves to break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is even challenging us, saying, if our Treasure is eternity, and our treasure is eternal things, 
then that's what we'll be primarily investing our life in. Eternal priorities, not temporal, earthly priorities, not things that we can't lay up over there, that we can't send ahead. And then I love what Jesus says in John 6, 27. He says to his followers, do not labor for the food that simply disappears, but labor for the food that remains, the food unto eternal life. The food that I alone, Jesus, can give to you. See, he's even seeing in his followers, even when he was here on earth, that they went through a lot of work, a lot of effort for the food that just goes in and passes by and it's done. He says, I get it. you got to stay alive. But shouldn't you also be putting even more effort into the food that remains? The food that's going to last? The food that when you and I get to heaven a million years from now, it's still going to be there. Ten billion years from now, it's still going to be there. Why? Because we invested in eternal things. And you know one of the things that we can invest in that's eternal is our spiritual growth. Because again, when you and I are spiritually growing, not only then are we going to have an eternal perspective and eternal priorities, but we're going to be a greater strength and encouragement to our fellow Christians, which that's going to last for all of eternity, because the positive impact that we've made on other people's lives, that's something we can take with us. Oh, and then it also says that we'll be a more effective witness to those that don't know God yet. And so guess what? If God can use my life to go in and reach into someone else that doesn't know God and bring them to a relationship with Christ, guess what? That's something that I get to enjoy for all of eternity because I get to enjoy their company in heaven. And how precious is it for us as Christians to have someone say before the Lord, I'm here, God, obviously because of you and what you did for me on the cross and rising from the dead and all that, but you used this person to share the gospel with me. You used this person in my life to be a light to me. This person showed me God. This person was the hands and feet of Jesus every day in front of me. And finally, God, you broke down that hard heart of mine and you, you penetrated me with their life and, and the way they did things, God. And you brought them to me, God. And now I can enjoy eternity because of them. Why don't we want that? As passionate as we want another car, a bigger house, or you know, more of this or more of that. And again, please hear my heart. I'm not saying those things are bad in themselves. I'm saying, but I think as Christians, every once in a while, we've got to sort of check ourselves and go, am I living more for earthly things? Or am I living more for eternal things? And I think God would say, I would always desire that my people live more for what's going to last not for the things that aren't going to last. And that's what Peter is saying here. He says, since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness? What is it to be holy? Most Christians would even say, oh, I'm not holy. Only God's holy. In this context, holiness is simply devotion to God. 
That's, that's what it is. It's being devoted to God. It is being consecrated to God. It, it is saying to God every day, as Paul said to the Romans in Romans 12, I present my body a living sacrifice, God. I'm yours. Whatever you have for me that day, God, I'm yours. That's being devoted to God. Living a living sacrifice. And second, he says, godliness. What is to be godly? That means to reflect God to others. And we've been learning this in the book of Revelation on Wednesday night because God calls his people, the church, guess what? A lampstand, a lighthouse, a menorah, a giver of light. See, God wants his people to be reflecting him to others so that when people see us, yes, they see us, but they also see God in and through us. In fact, that's how Christians got named Christians in the book of Acts. We didn't call ourselves Christians first. Other people who didn't know God gave us that name. Why? Because those people reminded those people who didn't know God of Christ. That's what it means to be godly. Then he goes on to say, while waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved, and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, and if we believe his promises, then we are waiting for the new heavens and new earth. Notice twice in verse 12 and then in verse 13, he uses the word waiting. We sung about that. Most Christians have the misnomer that waiting is passive. It's almost like waiting to them is going out to some mountain, sitting in the lotus position, and just humming. Mm. I'm waiting on you, God. Here I am. No. No. Waiting, yes, it does carry with it the attitude of, of looking forward to something, of anticipating with great expectation something, but there's also activity there. It's not passivity, it is activity. I've used this illustration before and it's the only, it's the best one I can come up with because we use it in our culture. When you go out to eat at a restaurant, you are waited upon by someone, right? A good person who waits on you at the restaurant is somebody that you hope every once in a while is active, right? You, you don't want to be sitting there at your table going, well, we've been here for a half an hour and nobody's come by. Hadn't even taken our drink orders yet. In fact, can I tell you, I've been in places of business like that where I've seen people literally get up and leave because they haven't been waited on yet, right? It's not a good thing to not be active if you're waiting, right? Waiting on something is to be attentive. It's, it's to be engaged. It's to be focused, so God is saying to his people, yes, I want your attitude to always be living every day, looking forward to what's coming and reminding yourself the best is always yet to come. As I say again around here a lot, you hear me say this, that this is the only hell we as Christians will ever know. And yet for those that don't know God, this is the only part of heaven they'll ever know, even though this is not heaven, can I tell you? So God is saying, yes, I want you to have that hard attitude of always eagerly going, maybe this is the day Jesus is coming, and living then in light of eternity, and then being active, having a, a plan of 
What should be my eternal priorities? What are the things that really matter? How can I invest more in eternal things? And I, I don't think there's a one of us either watching live stream this morning who are sitting here this morning and can't say, you know what? There's at least something I know that I could make a little tweak or adjustment in my life, my priorities, my schedule, all of this to live a little bit more for eternity and a little bit less for the temporary earthly stuff. And that's all, God, that's all God wants. Because see, at the end of it all, God simply wants to capture hearts and minds. That's what the word repentance means, by the way. When it says God is not willing, verse 9, for any to perish but for all to come to repentance, repentance is simply a, a change of heart and mind. And to begin to think the way God thinks and, and to, to have a heart for the things that God has a heart for. So even here today, just as he does every time he engages with his people, he's wanting to capture hearts and minds today. He's wanting to say, would you be willing to consider a little bit of an adjustment in your life? Maybe a change just in one thing. Would you be willing to do that today? Those of you that are joining us by live stream, same thing. Is there something different that God wants you to do today in your life that will make a difference for eternity, not, not just for the few years you and I are going to spend on earth? Because that's what it's all about. Not that, we're not, gonna, not that we're going to do this, but I've always thought it would be a great encouragement and reminder for all of us as Christians if every time we came into church here at the Oasis and every time we left, there was a big, huge sign that said nothing but eternity. Just to remind us, what are we living for? When we come into this building, are we, are we keeping eternity in mind? Or are we just thinking about earth? And when we leave this building and go back to our homes and our jobs and our schools and all that, are we, are we keeping eternity in mind? I also think it'd be a great idea in our homes, right? That in the door we walk in and out of every day, if we just put a big sign up there, eternity. So that every day I walk out of my house as a Christian, I'm going, you know what? I got to keep eternity in mind. Maybe God wants me to do something different than I plan today because he's got something eternal in mind for me or for somebody else. Eternity. That's what God wants to build into our minds and hearts. And the only way you and I have that kind of eternal perspective is when we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's grow together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for being such a great God. And God, that, that you invite us in. You don't force us. You could, but you chose not to do it that way. You lovingly invite us in to be a part of your eternal plan. You actually allow us as finite human beings to be able to touch eternity every day, to live for what really matters. And so, God, I pray right now that as we come to this time with you this morning, God, whether we're watching from around the world, around the country, in our homes right here in Gilbert, or whether we're right here in this auditorium with you today, 
God, that we will start living from a top-down perspective. And that starts with our view of you, God. That everything in our life starts with how great you are, God. And if we truly believe you are great, God, and that your promises are true, and that eternity is coming, and it's all true, and everything about heaven is true, and everything, God, that you promised, Lord, it, it's coming just as you said, that God, then shouldn't that change what we live for, God? Shouldn't that change what our passions are about and our priorities are about, God? And so, Lord, I pray today that you have captured hearts and minds here today, God, that, that none of us would ever be the same because we've been here with you, God, and that we would leave this place of worship, your house, God, not looking at things the same, not feeling about things the same as we did when we walked in, God. May you accept, God, the worship that you alone deserve, God, from your people today as we lift you up and exalt you in this place and put you in the place you deserve alone. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.